0: actually lately that i get to speak to people in england and it's a refreshing change especially someone from up north as opposed to what happens down south which is no matter where someone's from in the south of england they always say that they're from london in their bio so it's nice <laughs> to speak to someone that's uh, that's up north and uh, your work is absolutely insane um i'm so jealous especially of your your analog portraits it's just it's Thank something you. that i would love to reach that level of that level of skill and expression when it comes to portraits. Before we get into everything that you do, why is it that you became a photographer? What made you pick up a camera?
1: I had a, an older cousin. I think, well, it was my mom's cousin, actually. And we used to go to their house every Sunday as kids. And I remember seeing he had a Shinon. I don't know if you remember the Shinon on brand. Um, I'm, I'm going back 40 years, maybe. Um, and I remember seeing it on his windowsill and, and I just thought, wow, camera, that looks cool and i'd always had a bit of an interest in that kind of stuff um and then about i think i was 11 and, and i i was i was on the street with my friend we were just playing football or whatever and um we, we sat down when we'd finished and he was like ah oh, i'm gonna buy a camera i really need a hobby kind of thing mm-hmm. so um I, I knew nothing about him but i said oh yeah I met my, my cousin's got a camera It looks really cool as you do when you're 10, 11. <laughs> um, and he said, well, you can the, you can buy one from uh, Jessup's a, a Zenith. He says, you can get these Zeniths and they're like £35. He says, so I'm going to save up and get one. So I was like, anyway, showed him and I was, I was like, oh, I've got to get one. So we, I, we both bought one and then we'd just wander around at weekends, just taking pictures and it'd be one roll of film with your spending money and then get it developed and printed the following week. Um, and that's how it was really when I was a kid I was, so I was 11 when I got into it and then I, I wasn't I, like I'm not academic whatsoever <laughs> you know what I mean I have no interest right. in school didn't then didn't near the end either when I left it school was just for football and girls really <laughs> there was nothing there was nothing really to hold my interest so so really photography I, I, I knew virtually straight away that that's what I wanted to do Um and then just kind of, that once I fell into it. it, Was just I just never expected to do much else. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, well, I can do photography, so that's what I'll do. So that was like late 80s when I left school, 87, I think. Um, and then I ended up on a, what were called YTS schemes back then. Uh, and there was one running in Sheffield, which was for, specifically for creative type stuff. Or kids that didn't try at school, <laughs> same thing. <laughs> um, so I got on that, went to work for an industrial photographer called Andy Ward in Sheffield, and like he shot a bit of everything. To be honest, he shot portraits, um, pro- like products on everything as well. Like thirty-five mil, ten by eight, eight by ten uh, film cameras, uh, four by five, everything. Uh, RZ Hasselblad. He had a Hasselblad actually, I think um so they shot a lot of everything so i that was like a really good grounding in how to light products and things which i've never since i've never really been bothered about shooting products as such but like it does give you a good grounding in lighting that you perhaps wouldn't learn if you'd been sort of self taught you know what i mean so it was that was a that was a really good grounding in in photography for me and i was only there about 18 months cuz the the scheme ended Um, And he basically threw, for the first six months, he threw me in the dark room. I didn't didn't see daylight for about six months at all. Like I was in there all the time. I'd get there at half the morning. I was straight in the dark room, come out at half five. um, And that was it. They'd let me out to go and fetch the sandwiches at lunch. (laughs) Um, So I learned, I'd I'd already got a dark room at home at, at that point, just printing my own 35 mil stuff. Um, But that was, that was a really, again, a really good grounding because I was like developing four by fives uh, in a tank and stuff and um, just having to print sort of like sometimes like if it was portraits, you might have to print a hundred ten by eights, which sounds ridiculous now in, in like the digital age. But back then Mm. that was a normal thing. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah um, so I kind of learned all that. It was, a bit self-taught but they let me they let me loose after a bit on on the biggest stuff and the 8x10 cameras and stuff like that so it, that was it that was the main uh, thing but then because the scheme ended um, and there was no in Sheffield there was no like creative industry especially back in the 80s there's not much now but certainly back in the 80s there was nothing um, so it was a case of like what do I do do I get a job or do I move to London and I wasn't like if you could go back and knowing what you know now you'd be like oh yeah i'll go to london but like back then london was just this exotic kind of strange place that i i've i i could not even get to so uh ended up in a job for a while uh, a dead-end job which kind of focused me then and then after that after a few years i was just like oh this is not me i just want to get back to taking pictures um and so that's when i did it i just sort of like bought another camera i think i had nikon f90s back then bought one of them bought an rb67 which uh, a friend's company was selling which they'd never used they bought it and never used it so i bought that and then i just set up and uh doing anything really portraits weddings a little bit of product stuff all on film uh so that was like the early 90s and then i've just continued ever since and just Never really had a plan. I'm just kind of bumbled along doing what I love. <laughs> I still don't, feel, it doesn't feel like I'm working at all.
0: Well, something about shooting, about shooting film, especially if you're involved in the process to the degree that you were, is obviously that, that there's so much more to it than what we know as photography now with digital, which is very much like a, almost a data collecting process. Yeah, yeah. With regards to like going out as a, as a 11 year old kid with that role of film, getting it developed and getting your prints back the next week, all the way through to like literally where you are now, what's mm. the stage of the process that kind of still brings back that childlike enthusiasm, that, that love for what you're doing? You know, is it the developing? Is it the shooting? Is it when you get the images back? What's, the, what's your absolute favorite part?
1: Um, with analog, it's everything. Um, With digital, it's more so the end product and sort of like when you finally save save as .dot (laughs) tiff. Do you know what I mean? That's that's when that's when I kind of get that buzz. But with analog, it's everything, Um, and I never really left the analog. I did for a little bit, as everyone did, but like, there was a point about twelve years ago, and um, and my dad had just died, and there was a lot of kind of. Like, cause I'm, I'm a happy go lucky kind of, I mean, I'm 50 now, but I feel like I'm about 18 or 12, perhaps more like 12 to be honest. <laughs> um, so like the, at that point you sort of like start to grow up and think, oh, so what am I doing? And i would kind of lost my love a little bit for photography because there was, it was digital. It was, I was trying to do it in Sheffield. And so the clients were kind of not the not particularly the clients I wanted, but it was paying the bills. And I thought to myself, I'm beginning to like, hate photography. So that makes sense. Even though it was always that passion, it was always there. So that's when I went back to analog and then that just sort of like put me back into that creative kind of, oh yeah, this is why I do it kind of place. Um, Which I do get now from digital because I, because I got the love back for it. Um, But I think initially, I think digital, when digital first come out, I think it, it sent people off on a different kind of tangent to what like, Oh yeah, we can, we can put like a bird's head on a, on an airplane. Right. Like, <laughs> and then after a while you think, well, why, you know, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
0: So yeah. Yeah. hundred percent.
1: Yeah. So we, I was doing things and people were asking me to do, th- do, do things like such as retouching. Do you know what I mean? I was like, cause I was good at skin retouching. I say that now, but then I look back at it and I'm like, Jesus. What was that? That's like, I've seen some horrific stuff and it's mine. I look back on my old hard drives and like, and I didn't do that. There's no way I did that, but it it looks terrible. But back then it's what everybody wanted. Um, And so you kind of go off on this digital tangent thinking you're like the bee's knees and stuff. And then after a while, it kind of lost its spark. And I was like, I'm just, I'm just sat in front of a Mac for everybody else. You know what I mean? Everyone else is looking amazing. And, uh, all these models and stuff that I was shooting and they were getting loads of work and stuff. Of, based off, off the back of what I'd done, and I wasn't ch- particularly charging for retouching, it was just something that people knew that you could do. Even like, even sort of like the odd wedding when I'd shoot that and people started asking, can you, can you retouch my skin? Can you make me look thinner? And I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> so you end up doing it. And then after a bit, you just think, well, this is ridiculous. This is not like good business at all. Um, so. So I went off on that digital tangent, then came back to analogue, re-found my love for photography. And then also, rather than trying to make my digital work be anything clever or digital, the digital work then became about making it look more like analogue. So they kind of (laughs) met back in the middle um, to where I am now. And even if I'm shooting on a Canon or my Fuji, then... I'm I'm happy to do that. I just, I still love I prefer my analog stuff, but I am happy now just to to do it on whatever, you know, the client wants. But if it's for me generally, it's going to be on film as a rule. Um, although I did just this year get a GFX50S, which is like an amazing camera, even though it's just been back to MPB for for an it messed up a little bit, which you don't you don't get that kind of thing on. On an, on an RZ67, you don't have to reset it. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, but I, I'm happy doing doing whatever. But it's the analog stuff that keeps me keeps me <clears the> fresh. <throat> and I'm in the midst of building a little tiny little dark room in the garage just so I can print my own stuff and kind of try and sell a few prints.
0: Well, I don't want to ask too broad of a question to follow up, but I feel like we're going in that direction. You, obviously, you talk about you spending hours and hours creating this work sat in front of a Mac and then the, the end product is basically that just other people benefit from the time that you're spending yeah. um, and it doesn't really come back to you. It, do you feel like, especially, I guess, with digital's insertion into what we do as photographers, do you feel like photographers are just undervalued generally?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen it because I shoot um, fashion up North, which is a bit of a, contradiction. It's fast fashion up North. This is completely different arena to, to what's happening in London. It's all e-com companies such as Boohoo and misguided. And you go, I'll go on jobs now for them. Shoot. I'll do a day's e-com just cause it's paying the bills. Um, and I hate it. Like I'm, I'm twice the age of the model. The model's like eye rolling because I've asked her to do, I've dared to speak to her. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> While she looks up from her phone from doing a selfie. Um, so yeah, and on them on that kind of set now, like twenty years ago, the photographer would be the kind of not not necessarily top dog because that sounds arrogant, but like you'd be the the photographer would be like the linchpin of that of that entire studio that shoot and everything that kind of go through with the photographer. Whereas now, it doesn't seem to do that. The photographer is you're just a, you're just like a bit part player in there. Do you know what I mean? It's it's really weird. I, I've had, I've even had makeup artists come up to my Mac and like looking through my capture stuff and saying, "Oh, should we delete this one?" I'm like, "No, you you won't touch that at all. If you don't mind, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, you go back to your brushes. This has nothing to do with you, kind of thing." <laughs> but, um, so I get that a lot, and it's and since I've got older as well, and I've just got a bit more like you do get more intolerant of that kind of thing. Um, so. So yeah, the, the photographers they are undervalued, I and mean, and I never thought I was never that kind of ego on a on a shoot where um, I thought I was like the, like I said I, I never thought I was the top dog on anything. Everything that I do creatively is um, it's a collaboration. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, so I'm happy to collaborate, but like I still think people need to kind of stay in the lane and that. But I do see it all the time now. and We are undervalued, not just not just. Um, by sort of like the people on set, but also the clients, the way they, they speak to people. Um, <laughs> the clients clients now tell you what what you're getting paid. And I'm like, um, that's not really how it works. <laughs> but I think right. it is how it works now, especially up in Manchester, because that's fast fashion, that's e So they'll they'll say, can you do a day's e Yeah, all right, it's such and such a, a day. But like, can you imagine walking into a Porsche carriage and ordering a Porsche and saying, so I'll give you 10 grand for that. <laughs> so yeah, you'd just be like, yeah. no, no, you won't. That'll buy you a wheel. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because a friend of mine who's a model actually recently, I seem to have noticed a bit of a change in a few people that I know that work in, in modeling especially. And yeah. uh, one of those changes has been OnlyFans and these different ways in which they can kind of take a picture on their phone and make money from it. And mm. what I've noticed, uh, there was actually a particular statement that stood out to me, which was this this person who I've worked with for years um, and has always seemed to have the utmost respect for for the craft in general, for photography, for modeling, you know, real modeling, not just mm. being a mannequin. And she said that the great thing about stuff like OnlyFans and these paper sites that models are, are working with is that it cuts out the middleman, the middleman being the photographer. And I just thought, what a demeaning way to refer to people that have worked with you oh, for years. to so just refer to photographers as middlemen. I thought that was just really yeah. disgusting.
1: Yeah, it is. And it, and that's what I mean about that. Like I said, I get eye rolled by a 19 year old model, not even a model, like an influencer. Do you know what I mean? It was, she's mm. four foot six and being drafted in cause she's got 80,000 followers. <laughs> 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 so, and, and and like who, 10, 20 years ago, wouldn't have stood a chance. They wouldn't have got through the doors at Storm in London or Premier and these model agencies. Do you know what I mean? They wouldn't, they would, yeah. The best they could have hoped for would, would be a job in reception. But now, because they're influencers, now they are actually on their books and kind of... And I get that things change, but it's the lack of respect that photographers get, especially when you've kind of done it for years and you know you've kind of... Mm. You've learnt it, forgot it, learnt it again, forgot it again, and then learnt it again, or it just becomes that you've just done it so many times. It's just, it's just there. I get it's like people ask me to explain things to them. I was on a shoot last week. Uh, we were shooting some products, and uh, it was for a tanning company. And they wanted we were shooting the product, and they wanted like a shadow of a palm tree uh, going over it. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Cool. Sort it all out, and then. Um, and then I said to her, well, it looks a bit monochrome because it was a white bottle. Shall we like put some green in that shadow kind of thing? And they were like, well, in post. So I was like, no, not in post. Let's do it now so we don't have to mess about in post. So we did it with using the lighting and, and she was so dismissive of it and was like, hmm, I don't know how you did it, but it looks all right. And Because she was doing it in front of the client as well. And I was like, no, I, like it's not don't be so flippant about it. Do you know what I mean? It was weird. It was yeah. just a weird dynamic on this shoot. She was dismissive of everything I kind of did. And then, but if I'd have said to her, yeah, we'll do it in post, she'd have been fine with that. But cause I was doing it photographically. She was, it was like, it was bizarre. It was the weirdest shoot I've ever done to be fair. Couldn't wait. to. One of the out.
0: funny things I find with like the rise of influencers. And like you said, things changing where people that wouldn't have been models years ago are now um, sort of seem to be top of the set is that, we've lowered the bar so dramatically to let as many people through as possible under the, I, I honestly think under the guise of sort of inclusivity, whereas it, it actually feels more like it's sort of, uh, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's, this is a one that I've got to dance around a little bit because I don't want to say something that's going to get me in trouble, but it feels like under the guise of, of in, inclusivity, but it's actually about like, you now see if you get a girl that's not, you know, a size 12 or mm. above, they tend to get the abuse in the same way that, you know, it was said that, you know, bigger girls are yeah. getting the abuse years ago or yeah. height being a factor, anything like that. All of this stuff in the, in the guise of inclusivity, it's, it's strange that all of these people that have suddenly been given an opportunity that was supposedly never afforded before are mm. so quick to... Talk down to everyone around them. That's what I find yeah. fascinating. It's like supposedly this is a door being opened and it's supposed to be this big societal step forward. And the first thing you want to do with it is shit talk to people that are working with you.
1: Absolutely. I, I get that a lot on shoots, especially in Manchester. It's a Manchester and Sheffield are 30 miles apart, but the difference is bizarre it's like it's a completely different species but that's what happens in manchester a lot you get a lot of people talking down to you a lot of people shit talking you and and on, i've done campaigns up in manchester and um the the problem is you're kind of dealing with one of the companies that i, that I work for he i've said to him before because he often sacks people on on just like i'll go one week and then there'll be a completely different staff he's like i'll sack him and i've said to him the problem is. <laughs> You're employing enthusiastic egos, right? But like, so someone will come in and say, "Yeah, I'm a creative director." Well, what have you creatively directed? Well, not not a lot, but you know, I've done some Instagram shoots and stuff like that. So, and that, and I think that's the difference between Manchester and London. Is is if if you're in that industry and you go to London, that's fine. But what's left up north is kind of like I said, these over, over enthusiastic egos that aren't They're not creative directors. They're not. I've even had it with makeup artists. You know, someone will come on set saying they're a makeup artist and then it just looks like some kind of face paint at a fun pub. Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: one I've actually noticed quite a bit. Um, I think mm. that it seems to be the least regulated industry we have in in England. Yeah. I, I've had it before as well. And for years I couldn't work out how to kind of navigate it because I would have issues where the model would absolutely hate what the makeup artist has done. I wasn't particularly keen on what the makeup artist has done, but then you feel yeah. like you're responsible, especially if it's like a yeah. personal shoot. Because
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: even though I don't I don't have any training as a makeup artist, like you then become this like. A mediator between two people who are both extremely stubborn about what's gone on, and it's like this isn't fun. Mm-hmm. Like I'd rather everyone could just be good at what they're doing, and then this would be a lot more fun.
1: And again, it's when you get that the the problem on any creative set is if you get one or two big egos, and it's mm-hmm. often makeup or hair that that then becomes a problem because they want to dictate the shoot, yet their ideas and their executions not up to up to standard. Yeah. And I, do, and I don't mind an ego if it's backed up with like amazing talent, but when it's not, that then it's a problem. But what I found this year is um, because like for how many months could we not do anything? I was, <laughs> it's about I twelve years mad. so far. Yeah, I used to me and my makeup artist used to speak every day, and we were like, "Can we do? Shall we do a test? Shall we do? Shall we do something?" And she's like, she was really worried because obviously makeup and beauty and stuff were kind of they were put in the same boat at the beginning, even though it's completely different. So she wouldn't do anything. And then I just found myself uh, certain people or models that I wanted to shoot. And I'd just do it myself, to be fair. I didn't want a stylist. I didn't want makeup. I didn't want hair. Um, And I found that because I let go of all that, shoots were were easy to produce anyway, because it would generally just be me and a model or me and a subject, whatever, a portrait subject, whatever. And, and I think my work this year kind of like went into a di- into a new kind of area that, that I'm more happy doing anyway. And I think it improved because of lockdown, because I wasn't, we weren't putting together these like big teams of people to get average results. So, so nothing was expected. And then I could, every, like, I'm now really relaxed about doing a shoot. I'll just meet a model in Sheffield Town Centre for like two hours and we'll shoot and we'll do something cool and that's what that's the, that's how I'm operating at the minute with my test shoots my own creative
0: personal work it's your own personal work that's kind of jumped out to me because it's it's the simplicity and the like the power in the simplicity and i don't mean simplicity to sound like a a downward thing but there's a lot of photography out there that's all icing and no cake and it really feels like there's a huge connection like you you are a you know, not to sound like a pompous dickhead here, but you're a fantastic conduit for the person viewing the image because it feels like I'm looking. I know this sounds like a really stupid, pretentious thing to say, but it really feels like I'm connecting with the subject as opposed to yeah. what you get in most cases, which is you kind of feel like you're a third party looking mm. in on on an influencer yeah. being photographed by a guy that's underexposing by five stops and then mm. fixing it in post.
1: Yeah. When
0: it comes to setting the mood for these. You know, like the overall mood of your personal work seems to be quite serious and quite, uh, quite dramatic. I guess in in a a subdued kind of way. How do you go about setting the mood for those shoots? What's the conversation like? You know, how long do you take to start shooting on those on those particular projects?
1: Oh, instantly. Normally, Uh, if on my Instagram, there's a girl called Hannah. On the last shoot I did, which I drove up to Todmorden to do. And it was one of those days where she'd watch, she'd asked me to shoot, and I was and her, her agency in Manchester were like, "Oh, we need this, we need that, we need whatever." And I was like, "I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> I'll just do what I want." And I said to the to the model, I said, "Like your agency will hate my pictures, uh, and if they do, that's that's great for me because I hate it when they like them because it means they're bland." <laughs> um, so I basically drove up to Todmorden, which she told me was near Leeds but it's not, it was like two hour drive and it's not that far as the crow flies. It's just in the middle of nowhere. Um, but Todmorden was such a, it was brilliant. It was, it was amazing. I think I've wrote about it on my website. It was like going back to 1985. When I, when I arrived, there was, about four kids having a fist fight in the street <laughs> and swearing <laughs> at each other. It, and I just felt so at home. <laughs> like, this is amazing. They weren't dressed in designer clothes. They were just like little feral kids scrapping, and it was brilliant. So I, I went, I was just sat watching this for ages, and I went to pick the model up. And uh, and I just said to her, "Right, all we're going to do is wander around. We're going to find things. We're going to find backdrops. Um, we're going to go down little kind of alleyways and f- find places you've probably not seen before. And we're just going to shoot that. I'm going to find, I'm going to look for pockets of light, maybe just anything that's a bit weird and a bit, you know, not run of the mill kind of stuff. Uh, And then as soon as we start walking, that's how generally we'll walk past a wall or something like that. And I'll be like, just stop there. Let's get some shots here. And I always ask my subjects, I always say to them, "Um, don't model. Like if there's one thing not to do, just don't model. And then when when I'm actually taking the picture, generally I'll just look slightly away from me, maybe down a little bit. And and on the shoot, you could be having a laugh, talking nonsense. Um, and then as soon as i see this wall, I'll just say, like, just hold it there. And for, I don't know what it is, but for some reason I, do, I just get good results. And it even works on, like, I've shot my girlfriend's daughter who's only eight and we put a book together and the pictures are like, she looks amazing in them. And I think it's just, it must just be something how I direct models. That's like, in a, it's really simple. There's nothing too clever about it. It's just how I like them to to look and it's kind of cinematic and a little bit, but yeah, there's nothing, there's no secrets to it. I don't think either when people ask me, I'm like, I just keep everything really simple and I'm there's not, I'm not trying to be clever with any portrait or try and, send a message it's just how that's my style just kind of developed i think i think it's to do with the models that i select as well because anyone who's like the really beautiful girls i'm not interested in i want the weird people guys and girls whatever um you know the the waves and strays you know they're they're like oddballs the artistic really creative type of people they're the ones i want to shoot beauty and stuff like that there's two
0: kinds of great people in front of a camera there's, Like you said, there's the beautiful people where it's, it's fish in a barrel and quite often it's a little bit soulless. And then I always describe the side that you're talking about as being like the aliens, the people yeah. that when you walk down the street, they genuinely grab attention
1: yeah.
0: because they have an actual striking face. They're not just yeah. like symmetrical and
1: okay. Mm, yeah, And that's it. That's, that's what I'm kind of – I always explain it to people like um, the difference between like a homemade cake and a Mister Kipling's cake, like Mister Kipling's cake's coming off that, off that factory line, like every one of them looks the same. Every one of them is perfect. But when you when you bake yourself and you get like burnt gnarly bits and bits of sugar that have like exploded out and stuff like that, and it's not perfect, but it's more satisfying and it tastes better. And do you know what I mean? It's just that kind of yeah. thing. I always I always prefer that. I always prefer like the weirder locations and you know put me in put me in london in mayfair and i'm i'm lost but put me in a little well in todmorden especially put me in todmorden that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's the weirdest place on earth but it's brilliant just love it. it's full of character
0: well sticking with subjects obviously you've just mentioned in terms of aesthetic but when it comes to their you know their attitude their skill set whatever their their personality what's the best possible Subject that you could have in terms of they, someone that dives in headfirst to whatever you throw at them. Do they push back a little bit and throw in their own ideas? What really you know brings up the best photos from you when it comes to the subject?
1: Um, I just think it's people who love what I do. Like, there's no, I I generally uh, wait for people to ask for me, ask me if that if I can shoot them. Do you know what I mean? Rather than me asking them because. There's only the, there's the odd one or two that I'll, I will ask, but and it's and I found this more so with kind of like the nude stuff that I do, because it's a different style to what a lot of the sort of influencer girl types want. I will let them come to me and ask me because they love my work, so it's important that whether we're doing portraits or nudes or whatever, it's important that they love the work and they get the work. And I think then when they come to the shoot, they kind of already know what they, what they want out of it. Have I have I completely gone off the subject then?
0: No, no, you're hundred percent. I'm with you. It's great.
1: (laughs) So, so yeah, that's kind of what I prefer that they just know what I do because that's the problem as a, when you have to make the business pay, the photography pay, that's the problem that clients come in and they say, oh, we love your work. We want you to shoot this. And you think, well, that's nothing. That's nothing like what I do. <laughs> my agent, when they signed me about 18 months ago, they were, um, he saw my work, he went through all my book, he said, oh, I love your analog stuff, this, that, and the other. He said, oh, I've, got a, I've got a perfect client for you. And I was like, okay, with it, he's like, it's okay, magazine. And I thought, well, that's that's like, that's the polar opposite of what I do. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I did it and, and I can do it, but like, it's just not, it's just not like that personal creative stuff that i want to do anyway so but that's that's the job if you're going to do it professionally then and and at this level i think when you get to a higher level like when you're shooting for vogue and stuff then you can people will book you for your style but i think at the minute for someone like me it's kind of getting the little commercial gigs to pay for what i want to do anyway until it gets noticed
0: so you're kind of offsetting the commercial work with, with the personal work. So do you have to like, yeah. is it something where you have to stagger it in a, in a sense where like you'll do a commercial job and it will just be nothing like what you want to be doing. And you're like, right. I immediately need to get out and do something.
1: Yeah. That's absolutely. what I want
0: to be doing. And that that's the way you keep it going.
1: I mean, I don't wish to sound like, I know this, I don't shit where you eat, but like the commercial jobs are generally horrific <laughs> for me. I don't know what it is. this <laughs> kind of social awkwardness I've got or whatever, but I, I, I can't. It, they're just weird. The commercial jobs. The client rarely gets what you do, even though they might love your work. Because sometimes they've they've not even seen what you do. I don't. I don't think so. But yeah, the commercial work's horrific for me. I just hate it. But it pays for, pays for like film, <laughs> which is expensive. So yeah, got to do it. Well, let's let's
0: kind of do some, uh, as they would say in London, some blue sky thinking here. obviously you're not a fan of the client work but let's imagine that there is a client that when they say i love your work they actually have seen it and they actually do love it and they want to give you kind of free reign what's what's the ideal job is there like someone of particular you know fame or notoriety that you would love to photograph in in the way that you do for your personal work
1: yeah, like, such as certain actors, I think, because I've shot a few actors for the theatres. Like, I've done a bit of work for Sheffield Theatres, which is a big theatre complex, actually. It's one of the biggest outside London. So I have shot a few sort of, like, actors of of stage um, and, and TV and stuff. And they're always good to shoot because they're generally creatives themselves. And they'll, once you've got the job done, you can do what you want with them. But certain actors, like... You know, like Kate Blanchett and people like that, who just look amazing, whatever they're in, or Tilda yeah. Swinton, them kind of people, Tom Hardy. You know, they're like the the kind of more out there, you know, people.
0: Well, I definitely feel like Tilda Swinton was kind of custom made for for your photographs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She's like she's just got that kind of weird, like you said, alien look, which is. Brilliant for me. I love shooting that kind of stuff. I'll scout people on the street, to be honest. And and sometimes I think they shoot better when when they've got no expectations. Like, do you know if someone's a model, then they'll come and straight away they always start modelling. I'm like, no, stop that, don't model. (laughs) Whereas when you when you scouted someone on the street, then they they have no expectations. And if they're awkward, then I'll say to them, "Well, be awkward then. That's fine. If you feel nervous, if." if you feel awkward, then that's fine. I don't, I don't, I don't care. That's good.
0: To be here for the listeners a little bit and, and kind of be as thorough as I can be. I definitely know what you mean by don't be a model, but Mm. you know, what do do you mean by a model turns up and she just starts modeling? What's, what's wrong with the model modeling? What, What is it that you're describing?
1: Because modeling is for selling clothes, isn't it? They are basically coat hangers, professional coat hangers. Right. So and also up north, because they shoot a lot of e-com, it's like bang, 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 shot after shot after shot, dead quick. And, they, and they, no matter what the clothes they put on, they'll run into the changing room, come out in something else, and it's the same poses kind of thing. And I think they think that's what modeling is, which it is commercially, and it sells clothes, and that's fine. But for what for what I'm trying to do, it's completely, it's completely wrong. But I don't really shoot the kind of e-com model, those kind of models anyway. So I prefer the new faces when they've not, never done anything before because you can mould them into sort of like your style and stuff like that. And they always come back to me. They always go away and after a bit and so they've done loads of work and then they come back and say, can we just do more of that cool stuff? <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Well, obviously you, you've got the skill set and you've got the history with film, but when it comes to your your personal work, these these portrait shoots that you're doing on film, mm. how much are you kind of... How much film are you actually going through per subject? Because not a lot. You know, you you well. It's, could you lie and say that it's a lot so I feel better? Because I can't. <laughs> I can't wrap my head around how you're getting like th- the standard of shot that you're getting. Like it's th- remember with photography. Like if you photograph a building, a building is a building is a building. You just got to catch it at the right light. Yeah. If you photograph a landscape, you just got to catch it at the right light. When it comes to a person, there's like a whole extra dimension, which is the mood, the expression of that person and how you're working with them. And I, I kind of refuse to accept that this is something you're getting to particularly quickly because it makes me feel better about the, the lack of skill that I have. But how much are you going through per analog portrait shoot in terms of film? And how, how regularly are you, are you clicking that button? Is it like a shot every five minutes, a shot every 30 seconds? What's, what's the process?
1: Once the film's loaded, I'll shoot it straight off. So it's uh, ten or twelve, depending on which film back I'm using. Ten or twelve shots, um, and they're, they're like one after the other, pretty pretty quick. Um, but I don't normally shoot more than four rolls of. If it's someone really good, I might shoot I might shoot six. It's always in multiples of two because that's what fits in my dev tank. Um, so yeah. But just some shoots are just two rolls of film, like twenty shots, digital backups. but then when you look at the difference between the digital backups and the what what I shoot on the r z it's like you just have so much more soul, which sounds a bit sounds like, I sound like a hipster, but I'm not um <laughs> there is more depth to it and 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 it's not just me, I think other people see it as well, even non photographers can tell the difference, but yeah it's. I, I would say once a, a roll of film's loaded, I'll get through it fairly quick within like you know, less than a minute. Um, but I also think it's because I've spent years kind of just saying to the saying the same thing to the people that I'm shooting. You know, just looks ever. I know what works, and that's where your style comes from. I think so. You kind of there's a few things that you can fall back on if something's not working, and I think that's the difference between when you start out as a photographer and what a lot of like you know the the new kind of newcomers to photography lack at the minute they'll have it in years to come maybe but it's that uh, portfolio of ideas that say if i'm shooting a guy and he's just not it's just not working then there'll be something i know that i can fall back on in within that studio within that location that we're shooting so i think that's the thing and i think that just that's just something that's come over time because i've just been so stubborn and carried on with my style of stuff, even when people like years ago were saying that's not photography kind of thing. And I've just stuck with it and it's slowly evolved into what it's become. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from like the, the kind of art you look at and the books you read, the films you watch. So although yeah. I like it, I, I take, I do, I don't take myself seriously whatsoever. I love a laugh on a shoe. I'm always laughing and having a, messing around. Um, but I, I take the work seriously, so, so like I said before, even I, you could be having like it could be a shoot could be chaos, you could all be like falling about laughing. But as soon as that person in front of my camera, you just whether it comes from me or whether it comes from them, I don't know. But we just kind of just becomes a bit of zen, and you're like in that zone, and then shooting away. But it's it's not many rolls of film because I can't afford to shoot that many rolls of film. To be fair, well, years ago when I was like working for the photography magazines when I was writing for them kind of you'd get free kit and stuff like that but with film none of the film companies are giving anything away or sponsoring people or so it's all you're paying for it all yourself and it's uh, it's not cheap at all
0: when it comes to the personal work what is the the main factor behind it being I think entirely if not incredibly predominantly black and white what what's the thinking behind that is that just down to what speaks to you? Is that down to like your early childhood shooting black and white? What's the main reason that you want those images to be in black and white?
1: I love black and white films. I always used to love black and white films, watching them every Saturday the, on the sofa with my grandma before Grandstand came on. <laughs> um, so I, that was an influence, but I'm colorblind as well, you see. So I, with, when it comes to scanning colour film, I don't scan. I use, um, I use a pixelator. Now, have you seen the pixelator thing? which is like a little no. mask that you can, uh, it's, a, it's a diffused mask that sort of like holds the negative and then you can shoot it on a DSLR or whatever. Uh. Um, that's, and I, for years I, I, I built my own little box, similar thing, which is a box that like held the negative flat. Um, and when I tried to scan colour film, I just couldn't do it. I just, I can't get my colours right at all. They're like, they come out so bizarre. Like you'll shoot on Portra and then everyone will be like, that's not Portra. That's that's God knows what. That's expired Old War Chrome from 1986. But it's I just can't do it. So um and scanning at the lab is so expensive per image for the file sizes that I want. So I started out just sticking to black and white. And to be honest, I, felt, I do I do love black and black and white. It's just something about it that's just timeless, it's stylish. And that for me was always the the bywords of what my work should have been. It should it shouldn't be fashion. It should be style, which is different, isn't it? Like styles last styles eternal, lasts forever, whereas fashions change and stuff like that. So I just thought whatever I do's got to it's got to last. It's got to stand the test of time. And and stuff I've shot on black and white like ten years ago still looks good now. Whereas the color stuff, I think it's more subject to the trends that are around. Like at the minute, everyone's shooting. Portra 400 at 320. Do you know what I mean? Right. They're all overexposing Portra by a of stops and thinking it's cool and thinking they've invented photography and stuff. Don't get me started on people who photograph gas stations in America. On... <laughs> <laughs> so and think they're artists, but, um, yeah, so that's, that's the thing with color black and white. I just love it. Kodak Tri-X on, uh, on 35 mils. Beautiful. FP4 and, Ilford Pan F50 is what I tend to use for my uh, medium format stuff. And Pan F, Pan F50, if you shoot that in a studio and develop it in Perceptol, it is so sharp. Like it's absolutely beautiful. So and I don't think you get that on in colour either. You might do, but I just I just there's just something about like black and white and, and the and the science behind it as well, you know, mixing up the developers with different film stocks and, and trying stuff like that, finding stuff that works, then I think that's the kind of, that's the thing for me. Colour, colour doesn't hold that same appeal. I used to shoot on Velvia a lot when I used to shoot like stock photography and that, which is brilliant. Velvia 50 is amazing, although it has no latitude. Uh-huh. But, and I, and I do shoot on colour occasionally, but because it's so... To get it, like I said, it's so expensive to get it scanned in. I'll tend to shoot that now on either a Canon or, um, like I said, I've got a Fuji medium format, which I've just got, which I love. That's, that's an amazing camera. And that's as digitally, the Fujis are closer to film than anything else I've ever worked with. I, I've had a couple now. I've had a, an X Pro 2, uh, an XH1, which was amazing. Uh, and then I traded them both in and got the 50S, which the quality of it is it's stunning. Especially the colour as well. Like the colour of it is the colours that come out of that are you've got to seem to believe them. But um, same for black and white machine. That it's more like film. The look is more like film than anything else. So I'm quite happy to use that.
0: One thing I'm sort of seeing when I look through your website is that I have a I have a real problem with OCD in the sense that when I start following a photographer or when I find that they I find an image that I like I hunt down the photographer which is actually what happened with you (laughs) and I the first test which is just to get past my own mental instability is whether or not there's like a cohesive style not just like a one-off shot that stands out and I actually like and you slightly very slightly deviate from what I would normally Follow because you do have this these analog portraits you do have the the theater images, the editorial stuff that is really cohesive, but you also throw in kind of oddball mm. artistic shots uh to to just name one which i don't even think people would need to see to understand why it stands out would be like the dead wasp in the rainbow mm. <laughs> what, what is the what's the what's the thinking behind obviously having this like uh, extensive set of analog portraits and editorial work and, and so on. And then these unusual images dotted about within it. What's, what's, the, what's that doing for you?
1: I think that's just the, the old hobby photographer in me, the amateur photographer, if you like. Do you know what I mean? Like you see things, sometimes you think, oh, I must shoot that. Like at the beginning right. of the lockdown, I was walking down our road, I was taking a dog walk and I found a, an air freshener, you know, the happy, smiley, round face thing yeah uh and somebody had thrown it out of the car and it just landed on the floor in the mud and I, and I photographed it on my floor and it looked cool and i and And I think that kind of thing, but the reason I put it on my website is because I think it's easy to scan through a website like you would on Instagram, just scroll through it, get to the end, and then you've gone to something else. so I think on your website it's nice just to like you said you you go through the portraits and it's the style and then all of a sudden oh there's a there's a dead wasp (laughs) and then there's a chair. Do you know what I mean? So it kind of stops you and you kind of think, oh, so there's something more going on than just churning out portrait after portrait. So that's what, I think that's what that is.
0: The podcast has given me like a bit of a crazy opportunity. Like I said to you before we started, and I've said it a million times on the previous episodes of the podcast, like the only purpose of this really is to force other people to like things that i like so that mm. i get more of what i want out of the world is a very selfish endeavor what one of the great parts of it and i didn't really see it as being a possibility until lockdown really opened up the opportunity was just the fact that now i can speak to anyone around the world mm. i can speak to people that have been massive influences on me and and that's been been amazing because of the conversations you have outside of the podcast to say thank you to people for you know what they've done to guide you along the way and things like that. That's been, that's been really wonderful. Is there any influences that you've had over the years that you, know, you would love to have had a, a sit-down and a conversation with? You know, who, who are your biggest influences?
1: Uh, well, in the 90s, there was... Obviously, I've seen uh, all the old masters kind of thing, looking at the mags, buying photography mags throughout my life. Uh, but in the early '90s, it was people like Bob Carlos Clark and John Studdart, because they were kind of, even though they were shooting kind of like now, it's probably not. You wouldn't say it's appropriate. It's probably offend too many people. But back then, it was them. And bizarrely enough, um, I, I do a few weddings every year, and the girl that assists me, she's from Liverpool, and she. I run a shoot once when a wedding having lunch. And it, weddings are horrific as well. It's like commercial work, but it's, the money's too good to spend. So we were on this shoot, and I was being used, my usual grumpy self. And she was like, Oh, yeah, my uncle's a photographer. Uh, and she's a scout as well. So she did that scouse accent. And she, and I said, Oh, yeah, really? And she was like, Yeah, yeah, he's photographed everyone. He's photographed Tony Blair and Arles Schwarzenegger. And I was like, Huh? And then it then it clicked. And I said, Do you mean John Stoddart? As she said the, the Schwarzenegger shot, I, I knew. Uh, says, Do you mean John Stoddart, your uncle? And she's like, yeah, uncle, kind of cousin type thing. I'm like, what, you don't even know? Like, you're related to John Stoddart? She's like, yeah, yeah, I'll phone him if you want. <laughs> we can go down and see him. So, like, he was he was my hero growing up. And then I ended up working with his... Uh, I don't even know. She's related to him, but I don't even think she knows what relation it is, so, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they were, my, like, my earlier influences. But then... More recently, it's people like Alex Soth and uh, his portraits. I love, which have a more contemporary feel. Um, Bastian Vout, who I didn't I didn't know much about, but someone on Twitter said, "Oh, your work looks a little bit like his." And I looked at it. I was like, "Oh yeah, it's beautiful." And he was like a he was selling it as fine art. I don't know if he was do was he wasn't like a commercial photographer out doing fashion and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it was more fine art. Um, and then from him, that led to Robin Depoy, who's a, a Dutch photographer. And she she went across America. She rented a Harley, and uh, there's a really nice video of it on a website, almost like a, a film actually. It lasts for quite a while. Um, and she rented a Harley and she rode across America, just shooting portraits. And she did this set with a guy called Randy, who's this like little feral-looking kid. Um, and she did some amazing, like really, really beautiful portraits. Um, so she's a bit of an influence as well, but they've all come about in the last six months. So, but my influence has changed all the time. It could be Jack Davidson. He's another one. His work's just phenomenal. And that's, that's more weird. He get, he does get like fashion campaigns and portrait work, but he's more on that kind of weird level, uh, that I, I love. So yeah, people like them it's like
0: you said earlier as well, that like the influence can come from outside of photography. It can come from like yeah. the films that you watch or um, TV shows yeah, or you know yeah. other advertising campaigns. It can literally come from pretty much anywhere. Um, yeah, and it, can, it, yeah. it could even come down to just like a face you see mm. can kind of take you off in a completely different tangent that you never even thought you were going to go down. Um, I know that I've taken up a lot of your time and I want to say a massive thanks for you taking the time to do this. Before we no finish... I actually found out recently that the, so the podcast recently passed 50 countries that it's been listened to in, which I didn't even realize there was 50 countries. I'm so ill educated, (laughs) but for those that don't understand, I think that me and you both know that we're not supposed to like each other because I'm from the South, you're from the North and you can say lots of mean things about me and then I'll go and cry about it. But (laughs) for, for those that are outside of the UK, um, You've mentioned a few times about how, like, if you wanted to do it, you had to go to London. If you wanted Mm. to make a go of like fashion, you had to move to London and so on. And that like, you know, working in Sheffield, it's completely different. Do you think you could kind of roughly sum up what the difference is between being a fashion photographer or a portrait photographer that's up in the north of England compared to the south? What are the challenges that you're facing from being in the Um, north of England, particularly?
1: I think it's the attitude towards like we said earlier about photographers being undervalued, it's certainly more undervalued up here because I mean, I'm sure it does happen down South to be fair, but like when people say, "Oh, I was going to book you, but my cousin's got a camera. So we booked him. It's that kind of thing. You get a lot off. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if the challenges, maybe the challenges are all in my head. I know there are photographers from like Alistair McClellan's from uh, Doncaster and he, he shoots massive campaigns. Who's the other guy from Sheffield as well? There's another guy that he... But, but they don't do it in Sheffield. They always end up moving down there. So I don't know. Because when you go to London, like, it's a mongrel city, isn't it? So it's like, yeah. you know, it's, I think it's just a, that's just where the creative hub is. I don't think it really matters where you're from. It's probably me just having a whinge because I've still not moved. I did move there. I moved there for six months. I lived in Hampstead and thought I was Liam Gallagher and spent about six grand and then came home skin. So <laughs> I just got drunk every night. <laughs> it was just, it was brilliant. But I completely like lost track of what I went down to do. So <laughs> I ended up coming it, back.
0: It kind of makes no sense, right? In the way that everything's kind of directed towards London. And I, to an extent, I get mm. that in, the, in the, cult, the cultural history of it but like Mm. if you can go outside of London England's an unbelievably fucking small country if you can go outside of London do the same job I mean like if you're using studio lights or if you're using window light it's not like that doesn't exist outside of London yeah
1: exactly you can
0: go outside of London find people that are outside of the the mold of what's to be expected people that will I don't mean to be uh, disparaging but London prices on everything are fucking bullshit so there are people even just on the outskirts of London that will work for a completely different set of prices than the people that are in london you could spread the work out you it it, it would just cultivate a bigger community of actual creative i mean Mm. maybe just because in england we don't value the creatives i think we saw that during lockdown with the government's campaign that they just no one in england seems to fucking value anyone that works in the creative industry but it just seems weird to me england's such a small country and yet you know we're like we're drawing these fake lines across birmingham and we're like anything above that is is completely different and it's just not
1: I mean, you could drive two hours out of New York and still technically be in New York. Yeah. You get, drive two hours out of London and you, you may as well have got in the DeLorean and gone back 30 years, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and it even happens up North. Do you know what I mean? But I've, I've, Being in London, showing my book to a magazine and and they've gone, oh yeah, they're flicking through them. These are beautiful. That's nice. I've seen that before. I don't know where I've seen it. That's lovely. Where are you from? And then you tell them and they kind of close your book. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, it's a very strange attitude, but I kind of get why it exists a little bit. But I've always thought creative industry should be a meritocracy. It should just be based on, do we like your work? Yeah. Does it matter how you speak? Do you know what I mean? I often get yeah. pissed to at me in London because of my accent. <laughs> but to be fair, that happens in Manchester. So, And it even happened in Liverpool. Of all the places to take the mickey out of your accent, Liverpool. <laughs> That's, uh, they'd speak like they've got a lung infection. But yeah, so you probably have to cut that out. So we don't get... <laughs> so oh, no, I'm keeping that
0: in because I feel the same way about the, the Liverpudlian accent. I really struggle to understand it if I'm completely yeah, honest.
1: It is a bizarre one.
0: But there's a word you use there, which is like probably the most undervalued word that everyone should get in there in their vocabulary. And and we should start working back towards, which is a meritocracy. It should be about mm. who can do the job the best, not yeah. any other factor that goes into it, because that's how things will move forward. The, mm. the, what a wonderful way to end. Thank you so much for taking yeah. the time. But like I always say on these, the most important thing is that we push as many people as possible towards your work so that Brilliant. more and more Thank people you. can find you. Um, so where's the best place for people to find you? Website and Instagram and so on.
1: Uh, website is craigfleming.net. one. I'm in Fleming cause everyone puts two in. <laughs> um, and then my Instagram is, uh, what is it? Craig Fleming 2020. Cause I keep getting kicked off and having to start a new one. <laughs> so, so that's why it's, that's why it's 2020. I didn't expect it to last till the end of the year, but it has done. So I've not been booted off yet.
0: Oh, now you jinxed it.
1: I know yeah oh well
0: (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to do this I really do appreciate it
1: no worries Christopher thanks a lot for having me